0: And so uh, here we are at the end of Jonah. If you've been with us uh, a couple of months now in the book of Jonah, this very short book, uh, it's been interesting to me. It's encouraging to me. But I've heard several people say to me over the last few weeks, I didn't know there was so much in Jonah. There was so much in this little book of of just very quick, short chapters. But a lot of people have said that, which is good. That is that is uh, glory to God that he has inspired it and he teaches us and he's showing us. And so as we finish up today, we're going to finish up the book of Jonah. And, and I think we've said this as we've gone through it. But when we when we look at the book of Jonah, it's kind of two halves. We have the first chapter as God calls Jonah to go to Assyria, to this great city of Nineveh. He completely dis, uh, just does the exact opposite of what God calls him to do. And he goes and gets on a boat and he goes the opposite way. And God brings this storm on the boat and he's, he's pursuing Jonah through this. And they end up throwing him into the water where he's swallowed by this great fish. And Jonah repents to some degree in chapter 2, and that's the first half of the book. Jonah's disobedience, and then his repentance. And then we get to chapter 3, and he gets up, and God calls him again, and he goes into the city, and he preaches, and he does what God tells him, and he's obedient in the third chapter, in the second half. But we get to the very fourth chapter, where great things are happening in the city, and God is at work, and we end with Jonah kind of uh, a mess. Uh, Pouting and complaining and saying, oh, I just want to die. And so then the book ends and it's kind of a strange thing because it seems like in the middle that there's this turn happening with Jonah. But then as we finish up the book, he's just a mess. And so we're going to finish that up today as we look at that and what God's teaching us in this last chapter. And and I want you to think of it this way. Really, the fourth chapter, as we look at Jonah and his attitude and what he's going through, it's really a mirror for us. Uh, it just ends with this question that God says, and it's over. And it leaves us kind of wondering like, what's the deal with Jonah? But it also leaves us pointing back at our own hearts and the way that we respond to other people around us. And so as we finish. The fourth chapter here, uh, Luke took us through the first four verses last week, and what we saw is that as Jonah finally was obedient, and he went into the city and he preached in Nineveh as God had called him to, to God had called him to do. Uh, as he does that, there's repentance that happens at the end of chapter three, and it says the people were crying out to God. Uh, actually, in chapter three. In verse 8, it says, uh, let everyone turn from his evil way and the violence that is in his hands. And they say, who who knows, God may turn and relent from his fierce anger that we may not perish. And then it says, God did just that. In their repentance, he relents from destroying the city as he said he was going to do. But when we get to the beginning of chapter 4, Jonah's upset. He's angry, says that he's furious that God's not going to follow through and what he said he was going to do. And he's upset. And there's this really perplexing thing. And Luke took us through that last week, that here's the guy that's the prophet, the preacher that goes and he does his job and he preaches God's word. And God brings this great repentance and he's upset. And not only is he upset, as we pick up today in verse five of chapter four, we see that Jonah went out of the city And he sat to the east of the city and he made a booth for himself there. And he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. And what you get is not only is he upset that they've repented and he's he's not seeing and and glorifying God for this great work he was doing and the way he used him in it. But he goes and he sits outside and he kind of crosses his arms. I I think of like a little kid that's pouting. I'm just going to wait and see what happens. And so he goes and he sits in the shade and he waits after there and he's kind of sitting on the sideline. And I'm struck by this, this image that as he went and he preached and he says this and and the call goes up from the city of Nineveh that says, let us cry out mightily to God. This guy's a preacher. He's a pastor. He's a, a, a prophet that's supposed to have the word of the Lord. And these people are crying out mightily to God. And his answer is to go sit on the sidelines and cross his arms. And be upset. And you read that and it's almost comical in the absurdity of what he's doing. And so the question I want us to think about today as we finish up this book is why? Why is he sitting on the sidelines with his arms crossed, pouting at what God is doing in this city? What is the misunderstanding here that is leading Jonah to look at the situation like this? And then what is God teaching him? And seeking to show him in these interactions that he has with Jonah right at the end. And that's kind of where we end the book. And so we're going to wrap up Jonah today thinking about that and what God is teaching. And so the first question there, why is he sitting on the sideline? What is the misunderstanding that's happening here? Uh, One of the things when we read our Bible. So just for a second here, go to the the teacher mode for just a second. Because I really love to think about how we read our Bible and how we study it. How we think about it. How we get to the meaning And all those uh, pieces that go with it. But one of the things when we read our Bible and we study it and we we start to get into what is God really saying and what is the main point of this passage and how do we get to it is we ask them questions. And one of those is Is there a repeated theme in the chapter or in the book. Is there repeated words or is there certain things that God is saying and he's repeating over and over to alert us to the main idea? And I think as we get to chapter four, there is there actually is that. Uh, In in chapter four and in verse two, when God relents and and Jonah's upset, he says this. Jonah says this in verse two, and he prayed to the Lord and he said, oh, Lord, is it not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful God. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And it's so odd to hear, is it not? The reason I didn't want to come here is because I knew you were going to be kind to these people. And it's almost comical in the absurdity of what he's saying. But what I want to alert you to what's in there, and it's in the the word there that says he's gracious and merciful. But it's also in that last part where it says he's relenting from disaster. It doesn't come out in the ESV translation, but what that's saying is that God is compassionate. Actually, if you read in other translations, they often translate it compassionate. Like the NIV will say he's he's full of grace and compassionate. And there's this idea of compassion there in that second verse. And he said, I knew you were compassionate and he's upset about that. And then what happens is after this, he goes and sets up his chair outside the city and he crosses his arms and I'm going to sit and I'm going to wait and I'm going to watch. And so God teaches him this kind of a a lesson, uh, this this vivid lesson through verse six through nine. As he sits there, this plant grows up and gives him shade the first day as he's sitting there pouting. And he's so glad he's so happy that the plant has grown up and has provided shade. But then it says the next day comes and God appoints a worm that comes and eats the plant and it withers and goes away. And he's really upset. Because the next day it's really hot and he's baking in the sun and his plant is gone and he's angry about this. And then God says this thing to him in verses uh, 9 through 11. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. Again, a ridiculous statement that he says, I'm angry enough to die because you've taken this plant away. But then he says, Uh, The Lord says, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came up into being in the night and perished in the night. And what I want to alert you to there is that word pity. You pity this plant. It's the same word for compassion there as well. You have compassion on this plant. And then he says, God says to him, should I not take pity on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than one hundred and twenty thousand people? He said, should I not have compassion on the people You're having compassion on this plant. You're you're, you're taking pity on the plant, but you're not having pity or compassion on the people. And so three times in this chapter, God brings this up in God's word. He inspires this and says this in this way. And he brings it up three different times, this idea of compassion and what he's getting at. And so I want us to think about that. What happens that it's become so skewed in Jonah's mind that he has no compassion for the people in this city? That he has more compassion for a weed that grows up overnight and goes away overnight than he does for the hundred and twenty thousand people that are there. And I think the problem that we see throughout this book with Jonah is a problem that we too often have, if we're honest, and that is we see ourselves more important than everyone else. And we come back to that often. It's the default of the sinfulness of our heart that wants to see ourselves as the center of the world. And we can so easily fall into that sort of thinking day in and day out. I care more about me and what I think and how I feel and what I like and what I don't like than anybody else. And I don't have to work hard at that for that to happen. Right. It's very easy. It's very easy to begin to think that way. It's easy to slip into thinking that way. Uh, I was trying to think of a good example. Maybe this isn't the best, but it's kind of like if somebody comes up to you uh, or maybe you're leaving today and we're talking in the back. I say, hey, what are you doing later? I'm not sure. You want to help me move? You help me move, like, some couple refrigerators and a washer and a dryer and some big, heavy uh, couches? And you go, oh. It's okay. You, you can be honest. You go, the last thing I want to do is help anyone move, right? Like, when somebody asks you, you go, Oh, okay, yeah, I could probably do that. But we immediately start to think about what it costs us. I was going to go sit by the pool or I was going to go do this. Or I was going to go do that. And now you want me to. Move, right. And we immediately start to think about what it's going to cost me and what it would be like for me to do that and putting myself in that. And we all do that. We see the world through our eyes and our life and our experience. And it's so easy to weigh those things in those. Wait, now that doesn't mean you won't be kind and help or go and do that and give of yourself. Maybe you would do that. But we have that thought process. What is it going to cost me and what are you asking of me in this? And we can so easily see everything about ourselves first and foremost. And I think you see that with Jonah all the way through this book that he's about himself. What he thinks he deserves, the way he sees the world, the way he sees those other people. He sees all of it through his own lens and himself at the center. And it's this disease of our heart, of our sinfulness. That wants to believe this lie that we're the center of the universe rather than God being the center of the universe. And when that happens, our identity and our purpose flows out of me being the center rather than God being the center. And we start to uh, set our purpose and our identity on all sorts of different things with me and the center. And it leads to all sorts of problems. And we've seen that all the way through this book with Jonah. His identity is in his ethnicity and his nationalistic pride in being a prophet and being all these things about who he is rather than who God is. And he operates that way. And when we begin to operate this way, it leads to a skewed view of the world and the people around us. And not only does it lead to a skewed view of the world and the people around us, it skews our relationship with God. We start to see our relationship with God by what we do and how good we are and who we are in this rather than the other way around, how good God is. And I think you see Jonah doing this a lot. And when that happens, when we believe our relationship with God is how good we are and I'm at the center of that and what I accomplish and what I do and how good I am, it leads me to make comparisons to other people like the Assyrians in this case. They're really messed up. Right. Jonah sees himself kind of in his self-righteousness. I'm a Hebrew and I'm the prophet and I'm this guy and I'm this. And those people over there are brutally violent and they're awful and they're horrible. And I deserve God's grace because of what I do, but they certainly do not. And we've seen that all the way through this book as it continues to repeat. You see that bubbling up. And so when we start to operate that way, believing that we're the center of all things, it makes its way into everything. It's not just our relationship with God and the way we see people, but the way we see our stuff. The way we see our intellect, uh, our work ethic, our accomplishments. Look at what I've done. Look at who I am. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at the stuff that I now have that is mine. And so we operate that way because we believe this lie that what we have is ours and we belong to ourself. Made me think of an old uh, Pearl Jam song, my theology through Pearl Jam. If you don't know who Pearl Jam is, that's okay. But they used to have a song that's called I Am Mine. I'm born and I die, but everything else is mine. In between is mine and they sing I Am Mine. And that's kind of the way we operate. I control me and my stuff is mine and I've got it in the midst of it. And the truth is, even as believers, even as Christians, we can easily start to operate that way. We start to think my stuff is mine. And I'm the center of my existence and I get to do that. I'll I'll confess, there's times in my life that happens. Uh, I see it pretty clearly when there's something that I value and I think it's worth spending money on and I will spend money without even thinking about it. Well, it's my money and it's a good thing and I like it. And so it's okay. And I do this uh, without thinking. It's the one spot that always gets me. We have these uh, accountability questions on our DNA cards when we have DNA groups. And it says, have I prayed about the money that I spent this week where I fail in that where I get convicted in that is when my favorite bands concert tickets go on sale. I just buy them I'm like they're coming. I'm going and I buy it and I don't even think about it. And now I've got them. And it's like I'm going and then I'm like, oh, right. But I but I see it as it's mine and it's a necessity and it's OK. Now, where my heart gets revealed is when Joanna says, hey, we need to get this. And I go, well, is that really a necessity Right. Like, I didn't think that way when it was the concert tickets. I immediately do it. And she's like, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, we need whatever it is. I'm like, you know, we need toilet paper. Do we really? <laughs> and so quickly and, and I just as confession, the things that she says are necessities are 99 percent of the time more of a necessity than concert tickets. Almost always. <laughs> but in my It's mine and this is what I like and this is what I think and this is the way it should go. It's okay, And I immediately do that. And we all fall into that at different times. And we think that it's all about who I am and what I do. And so we see that in this book with Jonah and his identity is wrapped so tightly in his ethnicity. His identity is wrapped so tightly in this nationalistic pride. And when that begins to happen... When you start to operate that way, it leaves us in a place of being much harder to be compassionate towards other people. Right. If I've done this and I've worked for it and it's mine and I've done it and they haven't done it, then they don't deserve the same grace that I do. And that's exactly what happens with Jonah in this book. That God has sent him to these people and this incredible thing happens as God moves and he brings repentance in these people and he's angry about it. And so how are we saved from ourselves in that? The Bible's clear. We're called to be compassionate. I think right here in this chapter, it's alerting us to this idea. The bookends of this chapter there in uh, verse two and then 10 and 11 are pointing us back to this idea. God is compassionate and he is kind and he's merciful and he's relenting of his anger. And he shows, shows you this. And then God says back to Jonah. And this very clear kind of uh, picture that he gives him here, this object lesson with the plant, he says, "Let me get this right. You want uh, you're compassionate towards this plant, but not these people." And I think what God's alerting us to and what he's saying here, is that we are called to be compassionate because God is compassionate. It's what it means to glorify God, to show what He's like. And God is gracious and kind and long suffering. And when we are not, we are not showing what he is like. So how are we rescued from that? How do we get past that? And so God uses this object lesson with Jonah. And I think it's very much God's grace and his mercy and his love, even in causing this plant to grow up and then to wither. Which, by the way, if you think about it, it tells us that God's in control of all things in this. Even the weed growing up and even the worm that comes in. Says so God appointed the worm to go and eat the plant. God appointed the hot sun to come. He's using the elements in his creation to teach Jonah this lesson. And if you stop and think about it, what great care God has for Jonah in the midst of this, that he's using all these things to teach him and to show him. And as he does that, and he brings this plan up, God says this thing to Jonah in the midst of it. The sun beats down on him, and Jonah's so angry that the plant is now gone, right and He says, "Do you do well to be angry for the plant?" He says, "Yes, I do well right i'm It's completely justified for me to be angry, angry enough to die, and then the Lord says, "You pity, pity the plant." For which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night says you didn't do anything for this. Do you recognize that it was my grace that you had this plant to begin with, but yet you're acting like you did something to make this happen? I was thinking about that, what God says to him there. It'd be kind of like a friend coming to you. Let's say you have a really wealthy friend that pulls up in your driveway one day with a brand new car. Whatever your favorite car would be. And they go, I've got way more than I need. I want to give you this car. Free and clear, it's yours. So fill in the blank, whatever that car is, whatever your dream car is. And they go, you can have it. You go, wow, thank you, right? They talk you into it. No, 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 take it. It's good. And so you take it and you start to drive it and you enjoy it. And it's great. You go, this is awesome. Got this free car, nicer than anything I could ever buy. Here it is. And then a month later, your friend comes back and they go, uh, hey, can I borrow your car for the afternoon? I, I just need to go down and run a couple of errands. and be helpful if I could borrow your car. And you go, no way. This is my car and I don't want you messing it up. And no, you can't have it. How quickly can forget the grace that's been given to you? And that's exactly what happens here. God's kind of saying to Jonah, do you realize that this plant came up because I ordained it to come up? And you didn't do anything. And I gave you shade for a day and then I took it away. And Jonah's upset over that. And we do that sort of thing all the time when we start to believe the lie that we're the center of all things. And the things we have are due to what I've done and what I've accomplished and who I am. And that's not true. The Pearl Jam song's wrong. You're not your own. It's not I am mine. It's your his. The one through who we live and move and have our being. You're not your own. As a believer, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. You belong to God. He is your creator and redeemer and every single bit of you and who you are belongs to him. And we so quickly forget that. I don't know if you've noticed, but we try to remind one another that that is true every week. You know what we do at the very end of our service every week? We say, Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Every good blessing you have in your life, everything that is good, that you enjoy, that you rest in, that you get joy out of, all of it belongs to God. Every single bit of it. And how quickly we forget that. How quickly, but but for the grace of God, go I. In everything. We forget that I have breath in my lungs because God allows me to have breath in my lungs. I woke up today because God said I would wake up today. Or in James one, when it says every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of light. With whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. And when we forget that and we believe that it's all about what I do and who I am, it leads us to not be compassionate towards others because we think we've earned it. We think it's about me. And so I want you just to think about this for just a second because this is so important for us to understand what God's bringing Jonah to see. The mirror that he's holding up for Jonah is the mirror that he's holding up for us. And so today, if you say, I'm a Christian, I realize I'm a sinner and I am in need of the grace of God and what he's done for me in Jesus. That in my rebellion that I sinned against God and I am lost and I have, I have severed the relationship with the creator God of the universe and I now see that. Do you realize that, that is a gift of God? You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God being rich in mercy because God is compassionate He's caused you to become alive in Jesus. By grace, through faith, you are saved, and that is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. And so even if you see that, you now have faith to believe that. that is God's doing by His grace that He's done that. So, you go, that's all God's grace. But it's not just your spiritual life. It's not just becoming a believer. It's not just your salvation, but it's everything in your life. If you grew up in a home with parents that love you and they spoke the truth to you and they raised you to know who God is and remind you of Jesus and his grace and they told you that the reason that you were born into that family and that happened was because of God's grace. You didn't do anything to make that happen. God graciously put you in that situation and guarded and protected you and brought you up in that. And it was all his doing. It was all God's grace. Or if you were born into this country. And you grew up. In relative safety. And freedom from fear. And you could wake up and walk down the street and not worry about being harmed Physically. That you could come to this place and you can proclaim the name of Jesus and you can say it out loud and not have to worry about somebody breaking down the door. Do you realize that that is God's grace, that that's possible? And when you start to see that and you start to see people that don't have that, that have not grown up in that way, and you realize that it's all grace that you do, there's some compassion that starts to come for those that don't have what you got. By no doing of your own, but what God did for you, what he graciously gave you in your life. This is not a political statement. This is wanting to be a follower of Jesus. That's why when you turn on the news and you see people coming to our country. And they're running for people that may kill them or rape them or drug dealers. And you go, oh, I can't believe those people. What? Why were you born in this country that in this relative safety? Because of the grace of God that he allowed you to. I don't know how to deal with those issues. I don't. I wish I did. But what I do know that as believers, we are called to be compassionate towards all people. In all situations, in all times, in all places. And when we start to recognize the things that God has given us in our life. It starts to bring compassion to those around us that don't have those things that we do have. Or maybe it's the opposite of what I just said. Maybe you grew up not in a home with wonderful parents that loved you, that pointed you to Jesus, but you had the opposite. Maybe it was a really difficult situation. Maybe it was an abusive situation. Maybe it was really, really difficult And as you got older and as you grew and as you saw the world and you experienced the harshness of it and the seriousness of it, you longed for a perfect father. And God drew you to himself. And he used those difficult times in your life to show you the great grace and beauty of who Jesus is. That, too, is God's grace in your life. Every bit of it. Every good and perfect gift that you have in your life is because of what God has done by his grace. And so when we start to think about being rescued from what Jonah has fallen into. Crossing our arms and looking down on those people over there that don't deserve what we have gotten. Let me remind you that we stand by God's grace and nothing else. And we are called to extend that to others. And so how are we saved from ourselves in the midst of that? We go back and we look at the grace that God has given us in our life and we see afresh the glory of what he's done for us in Jesus. And then and only then do we begin to extend the grace that we have received. There's a direct correlation between the grace you extend to others and your understanding of the grace that God has given you. They go together. The more you understand how undeserving you are. And the links that God has gone to to save you and to love you, the more gracious you will be to those around you, no matter who they are. And now here's the hard part in this. And it's the hard part in the book of Jonah and in this story. When you understand the grace God has given to you, you can extend grace even to the ruthless Assyrians. I don't know if you remember when we started at this very beginning in Jonah, if you were here, but we talked about how awful the Assyrians were. To the point of historians say there was not a more uh, ruthless group of people in the history of the world. And so I don't want to be so hard on Jonah that he's sitting outside waiting and hoping to see their destruction because he had seen up close the awfulness of what these people had done. But the only way we get past that and have compassion even to those in that situation is by understanding the grace that God has given us. It's then and only then we understand what uh, God says in the very last verse of this book. When he asks the question back to Jonah, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? is they don't know who I am they don't know what it looks like to be gracious they've never experienced this should I not have compassion on them now that doesn't mean that they're not guilty the bible is clear that our conscience bears witness we violate it we sin they deserved the wrath of God God would have been perfectly just to destroy the city of Nineveh but in doing the way he does here he's showing us what he's like that he's compassionate and he's long suffering and he's full of mercy and grace. And we are called to be the same way. And so the book of Jonah ends with that question. Should I not have compassion on these people? And he leaves it open ended. But it's clear from the context what God is saying is absolutely. We are called to be compassionate to those around us. And so as we end with the book of Jonah, just a couple of things I want us to consider from what we've seen here. And the first one is this, that there is no person that you will meet or come into contact with or see in your life that is beyond the reach and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. They don't exist. And so sometimes we look at it and go, that person is way beyond. And this book stands there reminding us that no, they're not. Here's the most brutal nation in the history of the world. And God does this incredible work by his grace. God can reach anyone. And so we should operate in that manner. And so that means when people are really, really ugly to you, when they are really harsh, when they are really difficult to be around, the answer is you be compassionate. You be kind and gracious. You be quick uh, to forgive. You speak the truth with great humility and you entrust them to God. And that's not easy. The only way that works is if you're understanding the grace that God has given to you. That you stand by the grace of God in every area of your life. But it's a reminder that we need to hear often. And so we not only that no one's beyond his reach, but then we need to extend grace to everyone forgiving quickly. Those go together that God uses that in the midst of it. That as these people see what God is doing and how he's working, they have repentance. God works through uh, revealing what he's like by his grace to us. And so we are called to uh, alert people to the great grace that God has given us by the way we treat them. I say that often. I pray that with my boys every night that we would show the world what God is like by the way we treat them. I read the book of Jonah and I am so thankful that God is like this. That he is compassionate and kind and slow to anger and he continues to pursue us. But the very last thing I'd say as we we get to that last verse and as we end the book of Jonah. There in verse 11 when he says, should I not have compassion on this city? In which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. And I want you just to think about that statement for a second. You are surrounded by people every day that don't know their right hand from their left, spiritually speaking. They are seeking their joy, their hope, their life, and all sorts of other things that will never give them what they want out of it. They're seeking their identity by what they have They're seeking their identity by their children. They're seeking their identity by what people think of them. And all the while, what they desperately, desperately need is a relationship with their creator and redeemer. And if you have that relationship with Jesus, you know what they're looking for. And you see them and whatever it is that they've gone through in their life that has brought them to this place where they don't understand it. You have an opportunity to have compassion on them, even when they're ugly. You know the answer to what they're looking for. And the reason you know the answer is because you have experienced the grace of God in your life, and he's met you in the middle of that, and you now have an opportunity. And so when I read that, and God asks that question, should I not have compassion on those that don't know their right hand from their left? And then I look up and I go... That is the whole world we live in. Surrounded by people that are desperately seeking and they don't know. And We have an opportunity to show them the grace of God and what he's like by speaking the truth, by loving them, by inviting them in. Right. This whole book is about Jonah being sent to the worst of the worst and him resisting. Thankfully, Jesus is not like that. He didn't resist. He came for us and he did what we can never do. And so we can look to him being united in him. There is no one that he can't reach. And so as we are obedient and we seek him and we go and we proclaim the goodness as our identity is resting in him. We see those come to faith through that. God is going to do what he's going to do and he invites us to be part of it. And that is a glorious good news. And so. So. As we end the book of Jonah, let's pray. Let's pray that God would use us. Uh, Lord, we thank you uh, for the glorious truth of what this book teaches us about who you are and what you're like and the ways that you love us. Uh, I pray that as we go through our week, uh, our, this month, our lives, that the people we come into contact with, that we would see so clearly. That they are made in your image. That their deepest need is to know and to love you. That you would give us great compassion on those around us. I pray that you would uh, uh, just do this work in our hearts. Reminding us that we are people that have received your incredible grace. And that we would seek to be uh, conduits of that grace. Pointing people to their great need for you. That it would be all about your name and your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.